Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. Over the next 30 minutes, you'll get the top news from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture, the latest Indiana farm forecast from Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, and grain market analysis after what was a week of struggle for the soybean market before turning around a bit on Friday. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. My colleagues Andy Eubank and C.J. Miller will join me on today's show where we'll talk about farm bill priorities with the existing bill expiring in September and how to get ahead of the yield-robbing diseases, tar spot in corn, and SDS in soybeans. First though, our focus turns to the Supreme Court. Having an agriculture issue in the Supreme Court is pretty rare. Having two ag issues before them is nearly unprecedented. Let's start with Waters of the U.S. The Environmental Protection Agency has issued a final rewrite of Trump-era WOTUS reforms, and it's not sitting well at all with many farm groups. With more, here's Andy Eubank. Thanks, Eric. American Farm Bureau is quite disappointed, and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says the final waters of the U.S. rule is tainted. The rule doesn't clearly exempt isolated or ephemeral features from federal jurisdiction, but instead subjects both of those features to case-by-case determinations, which means that farmers, ranchers, or landowners across the country could be required to, to pay a lot of money and spend a lot of time trying to figure out if their isolated or ephemeral features are federally jurisdictional. That's NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart. Beyond some exemptions for drainage ditches, stock ponds, and prior converted cropland, Hart sees the Biden EPA rule as a reversal of Trump-era WOTUS reforms. This is a significant expansion beyond the navigable waters protection rule, and, and the Biden administration sought to find some middle ground between the 2015 rule and the 2020 rule, so we knew that there might be a slight expansion, but this leans much more toward um, the 2015 Obama rule than it does toward the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. Over at American Farm Bureau, Courtney Briggs, Senior Director of Government Affairs, agrees the rule doesn't provide the clarity and certainty that those being regulated have been asking for. This rule allows the federal government to expand their jurisdictional reach over private property It is clear that the agencies have doubled down on their use of the troubling significant nexus test, which will require landowners to hire environmental consultants, attorneys, and engineers to ensure that they are in compliance. She says when the federal government expands its reach, the amount of permitting that farmers are subject to gets worse. Since this rule relies on case-by-case determinations and ambiguously defined terms, It is incredibly difficult for a farmer to understand if they have a jurisdictional feature on their property. There are civil and criminal liabilities attached to Clean Water Act compliance, and that is why it's so incredibly important to have a clear line of jurisdiction. The new WOTUS rule now goes into effect 60 days after it's published in the Federal Register. We will be looking to the Supreme Court for a decision in the Sackett case, which will provide some clarity on the use of 
a significant nexus test. And the agencies have stated that today's rule is a durable rule, but it is very likely that they will have to make changes to the rule in response to a decision from the high court next year. Hart with NCBA says the timing of the EPA final rule couldn't be worse, and it seeks to directly preempt the ongoing Supreme Court litigation, leaving the WOTUS question mark murkier than ever until the high court rules months from now. I'm Andy Eubank. All right, Andy, thanks. And from one Supreme Court case to another, we are expecting a decision from the Supreme Court on California's Proposition 12 anytime now. I am uh, optimistic, but I'm not confident. And that's Michael Formica, the chief legal strategist for the National Pork Producers Council. You can't guarantee the result. We don't know, right? We won't know what's going to happen until it happens. But I, I think the I think the signals seem to be pointing in the right direction. Prop 12 was a ballot initiative that passed in California that would create new rules for swine production. Chief among them, it bans the sale of pork in California from the offspring of sows kept in pens that do not meet its prescribed dimensions of 24 square feet per sow, even if the hogs were raised outside of California. Formica says the decision, which he expects to come near the end of this month or in February, is crucial to all of agriculture, not just the pork industry. If we lose this, and I don't think we are going to lose this, um, but if we were to lose this, it would be bad for pork producers. Uh, it It would open the floodgates of these ballot initiatives and activists um, measures in you know in high population states. So in it, you know New York, California, New Jersey, um, Massachusetts, we would see attacks on agriculture coming left and right uh, for every issue under the sun. Part of the reason for Formica's optimism having the you know, Biden administration, the U.S. government on our side um, was was a fantastic uh, development, and we worked hard on that early on and. Uh, you know, they were they were there to defend the integrity of the U.S. food system, um, you know, to defend biosecurity is a, is a concern, uh, defend the wholesomeness of, of pork going um, going through and, and the, the the reliance uh, and the faith of consumers in in the safety and wholesomeness of the meat that they that they consume. We'll continue to follow this story here at Hoosier Ag today and when a decision from the Supreme Court is handed down, we'll let you know what that decision is. When agriculture news breaks, you want to be following us on Facebook and Twitter at Hoosier Ag Today and also our website, HoosierAgToday.com, where you can sign up for our free daily e-newsletter. Let's shift our attention now to the markets and welcome back Andy Eubank. Andy, pretty volatile in the markets this week, an up and down week, mostly down though except Friday. Thank you, Eric. And we did see a pretty sizable short covering rally in beans, about 20 cents higher. Those settlements coming up first, market analysis. We get that from Brian Basting of Advanced Trading. I checked in with him in the middle of Friday trade. Brian, finally a rebound in the soybean market. Looks like a pretty solid rebound after a very tough start to the new year. And we're once again flat in corn and wheat futures. Certainly early this morning, no help from the export sales report. Yeah, you summarized that well, Andy. As we, we enter the uh, first week of, of in the first week of January here, it almost feels like the, the first week of July. And I'd remind your listeners that, that how variable weather markets can be, how volatile weather markets can be just based on latest forecasts. We're looking at a weather market most dominantly, if you will, in Argentina. And so, as you mentioned, the soybean market is rebounding a bit here, just more warmer and drier weather uh, moving on the horizon next week. Um, some rain being talked about mid-month, 
and that gives us just that that uncertainty as as more of this crop moves ahead here into the key reproductive stage. I don't want to give the impression to your listeners that we're in pod set and pod fill in Argentina. That's going to come later this month and in February, but it's still, it's a trend is what's important. As you mentioned also, the export sales report was a bit disappointing, but not necessarily that unexpected given it's the holiday trends here. Um, we just got a lot of downtime, if you will, for exporters and all, all folks associated I would remind your listeners of one thing, though. January 12th, a lot of reports will come out before that day or on that day. We may see some business before that, and we're starting to see a bit. We saw some flash sales of the last couple of days of soybeans, so we may see more of that as, as end users position themselves prior to those key reports. The Friday soybean rebound, was it just time to bounce because of all of the selling leading up to Friday? Or were there some other factors, for example, Argentina weather forecasts? Yeah, it's more of the short covering aspect from the standpoint of, of we've got a crop that's, that's far from being made in Argentina. Contrast that, if you will, with harvest taking place in northern Brazil. That crop is actually being harvested as we speak here and will continue as we move north to south in Brazil throughout the remainder of the month. And that's Brian Basting, economist at Advanced Trading. Call him at 309-664-2314. On hat, the settlements from Friday trade, March corn up a penny and a quarter, and May corn up a penny and a half. Both contracts end at 654. July also up a penny and a half, going to 648 and a quarter. Soybean futures strong, March 1492 and a half, up 21 and three quarters, and May goes 21 cents higher to 1498 and a half. March wheat 743 and a half, down three and a quarter. The meats lower Friday. February live cattle, 57 lower, 156.77. A stout sell-off in hogs, February 80.27, down 225. That's the market update. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. In 2022, audience research showed that Hoosier Ag Today was the most listened-to farm radio source in Indiana. Why? Because we bring you timely, relevant, and credible information every day on this station, delivered by professional farm broadcasters who live in this state and who really care about your farming operation. With you in 2023, Hoosier Ag Today, heard daily on this station and online, HoosierAgToday.com. We've got a chilly weekend ramping up here over Indiana. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Indiana Farm, a forecast weekend edition. While the chill stays here, we're also seeing high pressure being analyzed right over the top of Indiana. That's going to give us, I think, at least a threat or a chance of good sunshine. There's a minor disturbance trying to pass by to our south. This Canadian high pressure dome is keeping this moisture to our south over southern Missouri through Tennessee through Kentucky. I do think that as the high shifts off to our east over the later part of tonight and into tomorrow, there's a chance for some clouds to come up the backside into central Illinois and we will leave the door open for maybe a few spits sprinkles flurries over central and southern Indiana as we start off Sunday morning 
Nothing, though, through the balance of the day on Sunday, just some clouds lingering over the Hoosier State. Like I said, it stays chilly all the way through the weekend. The chill is in the air as we kick off next week on Monday, but it fades quickly as temperatures moderate through the day Monday. We are near to above normal on temperatures Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. A significant storm complex comes out of the central plains on Thursday, and it passes mostly to our south on Friday. I won't rule out some scattered rain showers down in the far southwest tip of Indiana, maybe Friday morning to midday, but this is more of a deep south event, and Indiana escapes with no additional precipitation. Slightly cooler air to finish the week up north, but no major letdown. Then we warm back up dramatically late this upcoming weekend, particularly I'm looking at Saturday night, the 14th through Sunday, the 15th, well above normal temperatures, and that warm surge starts the week following, the week of the 16th. In that period, though, the week of the 16th, things could get very, very interesting, and we want to spend the rest of our time talking about that. Look, temperatures could be as much as 20 degrees above normal as we kick off that week. Think about what we saw here in Indiana just a few days ago, the mild air, the well above normal air, and what it did, it gave us an atmosphere that was ripe for getting any kind of moisture to get wrung out. Now, in the week of the 16th, we're seeing a strong area of low pressure start to come together in the Four Corners region of the U.S. And if you pay attention to such things, you know that oftentimes our strong storm complexes start in the southwest and then hook through the central plains, southern plains, and right across the eastern Corn Belt. Way too early to say whether this one is going to do that, but the moisture that's coming together right now in the Four Corners region, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado. If it can consolidate around a single low, then the track of that low becomes very important as we approach midweek, the week of the 16th. I'm going to pencil in right now the threat, at least, of some rain, maybe some significant rains, and then cold air being drugged down behind and chilling us out quite nicely to finish the week. We'll see if it comes together, but that's what we're looking at. I'm Ryan Martin. Farmers, the Fort Wayne Farm Show celebrates 34 great years at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum, January 17th, 18th, and 19th. This huge three-day event features the area's largest variety of farm equipment and services. Educational seminars presented daily. Register to win the grand prize, a Toro My Ride Zero Turn Lawnmower, courtesy of Plevna Implement. Admission is free. The Fort Wayne Farm Show, Tuesday through Thursday, January 17, 18, and 19, open Wednesday night until 8. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, the top news story this past week has been the new 118th Congress and the battle among Republicans to fill the House Speaker position. Well, as the new Congress convenes, there are concerns about the possible direction of this year's farm bill, which expires in late September. The major push is to make sure that our farmers are made whole with crop insurance. That is the number one uh, key that our farmers are pushing for. And that's Bradley Shad, CEO of Missouri Corn, which is part of the National Corn Growers Association. Shad says his organization and other farm groups are pushing lawmakers to keep them from taking money away from crop insurance programs. They cannot tinker with that. That is our, our most important thing that our farmers use to make sure that they can be made whole because we're, we're dealing with weather and we, we have no control over that. Um, it's out of anybody's hands and uh, so we got to make sure that that crop insurance stays intact at at least uh, its level. There's going to be people that try and take money away from that uh, but I feel pretty confident that we've got enough of a coalition and, and it's important for food security reasons. He says another key component of this year's farm bill 
is the Foreign Market Development Program. That gives us opportunities to export our corn overseas. Uh, we have offices uh, around the world with our partners with U.S. Grains Council. That funding is very important. We need that to expand because of all the trade issues that are going on. Shad recommends that every farmer get involved so that lawmakers understand what's at stake with this year's Farm Bill. Reach out to your membership associations and make sure that you're a part of that to where they have contacts out there in D.C. that they're talking with regularly. Uh, if you've got a personal relationship uh, with your congressperson, reach out to them. Make sure that they know how important the Farm Bill is and getting that passed. And so all I can say is just get involved with your association because the more voices we have together, the better off we're going to be. Read more about the priorities that the National Corn Growers Association have for this year's federal Farm Bill at ncga.com. Well, as you plan now for spring planting, you may be thinking ahead on how to prevent tar spot fungus from robbing your corn yields this fall. However, there are several things you can do now to lower your risks this growing season. Unfortunately, you know, it's here, it's now endemic, it's not going away. And that's Dr. Marty Chilvers, associate professor at Michigan State University. He was recently a guest speaker at the Tar Spot Summit hosted by AgriLiant Genetics. Chilvers has been studying the impact of tar spot on corn since it first popped up in the Midwest in 2015. It survives in residue and over the years we've just seen it spread out across the landscape and it's continuing to spread, right? We've got reports, I think South Dakota now as well, so it's really spreading out and it'll continue to do so. It doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. He says crop rotation and no-till have had no impact on preventing tar spot. It's partly down to the way the disease moves and it can move many miles and so this, this is part of the issue. We've had farmers that haven't had corn in a particular field. They put corn in and then they've been smoked with tar spot just because the spores are blowing in from outside and so that's why we're not recommending you know moldboard plowing or burning stubble or anything like that. It's not really going to have much of an influence on the disease that's going to develop the next season. Chilvers has several recommendations to try and keep tar spot from becoming an issue this growing season. Hybrid selection is number one. Making sure we've got good tolerance a good tar spot score number one thing you should be doing speaking to your seed dealer about number two is you know what is the weather going to do right like and if you're irrigating you are at slightly increased risk in this you know you just want to minimize leaf wetness events if possible during the season uh, in terms of active management certainly be scouting talking to your neighbors and then a you know, well-timed fungicide when it's warranted uh, between vt and r3 is typically what we're seeing year in and year out it tends to produce the best result read more at hoosieragtoday.com well farming has one of the highest disabling injury rates of any industry that's why for more than 30 years Purdue Extension has a program available for Indiana farmers who have been disabled on the job to help them getting back to doing what they love. Our purpose is to help farmers with disabilities stay farming or return to farming. And that's Stephen Swain with Indiana AgriAbility, which is part of Purdue Extension. He says he and members of his team will travel to someone's farm after they've been seriously injured so they can put together a plan to help those continue to farm and provide for their families. We sit down at the kitchen table with them and figure out how we can help them overcome those disabilities, those limitations, all the way from a spinal cord injury, arthritis, back problems, amputations, whatever there is. Swain believes he's helped nearly 600 Hoosiers over the past 21 years not only get back to work, 
but regain a sense of purpose after going through a horrific farm accident or a serious medical issue such as a stroke or a spinal cord injury. I got a list 10 mile long of farmers where their mental state is, I'm done, there's no way I can continue and I will sit down with them, even in a rehab hospital, and we start looking at things in the toolbox. We show them a lift. They see that, and you see the light switch go on to where it isn't me providing the ideas. They're figuring it out. I can do this. They continue to farm. Swain also says he's known of many farmers who became disabled but were inspired by agribility and the resources available to create and build their own tools needed to continue to work on their farms. Well, I had one that had an arm amputation. He saw our display at the Indiana State Fair, never talked to us, saw ways to go ahead and farm, and two, three years later, the Master Farmers Tour stopped at his place, and he asked us to do a display there. We're trying to figure out what's our connection. He used the resources and he wanted others to get that information. I don't know how many of those we've got, but I know that happens. If you would like more information about AgriBility and how they help farmers with disabilities, visit agribility.org. You can also find that link at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. IOM Grain has always been non-GMO, but now there's more. Eric Laux is here to talk about a new partnership that will expand what IOM Grain can bring to farmers. We've changed quite a bit. Our markets are changing. We're always going to be non-GMO, but we've taken on GDM seeds. We've taken on virtue seeds, and it's bringing a lot of good things to the table. Yield is the main focus, the main driver. Virtue will carry our non-GMO. GDM will carry our new potential of Enlist and Extendiflex food-grade soybean varieties. This will bring to the table seed contracts for growers and food-grade soybean contracts with GMO varieties that uh, most of our guys didn't know anything about. With that comes high yield, and varieties that are not available anywhere else. All of this stuff will carry a premium. That's what our growers know us for. Eric Lauks with IOM Grain, now paying $3 plus premium on all bushels. IOMGrain.com. You've landed on Hoosier Ag this week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, reporting on Indiana's most important industry, agriculture. Sudden death syndrome is one of the top yield-robbing soybean diseases. Blake Miller is an agronomic service representative with Syngenta, and he says growers need to be planning ahead now for SDS to get off on the right foot. But planning ahead starts with looking back. What were my fields like the last time they were in a soybean rotation? Did I have SDS in those fields? And then if I did, then I start to frame out that plan around variety selection is absolutely critical. The varieties themselves need to have internal defense, if you will, against SDS. They need to be a good soybean cyst nematode bean because there's really causality between those two things. Having cyst and SDS, the cyst nematodes kind of exacerbate the expression of the SDS, if you will. Those are really the 
keys. So understanding what the pressure of sudden death syndrome was like in my field and then choosing genetics. And then finally marrying the genetic defense with uh, a seed care product like our Saltro fungicide. Miller says another factor to consider is the timing of soybean planting. Soybeans are being planted earlier than ever, especially in the Midwest. I'm in central Illinois. And in that environment in itself, cold, wet soils follow suit with infection rates of the fusarium to the soybean. So in order to keep planting earlier, which is driving up yields, you need to protect with something like Saltro fungicide as well. Find this story at HoosierAgToday.com and read more about Saltro fungicide. Miller reminds you to always read and follow label instructions. More now on the 2023 Farm Bill as the current Farm Bill expires in September. C.J. Miller chats with a native Hoosier working in D.C. about his thoughts on getting it done. Most people still think the last farm bill that passed was a pretty good one. And that's Ted McKinney, Tipton County native, who serves as the CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. As lawmakers decide the policies and budget within this year's farm bill, some farm groups are concerned that money could be diverted away from the ag industry and allocated more for nutrition and food assistance programs like SNAP. What's changed, though, is that COVID came along and society made sure that the kids were fed. There seems to be some that believe we need to keep doing that completely at government expense. And I mean breakfast, lunch, after school, weekends, summer. And that is where the debate will come. McKinney says he believes the money that's needed to fund crop insurance programs won't be taken away and will still be available upon passage of the Farm Bill. I'm still confident that when something less than 25% of the Farm Bill is for farmers and your listeners, I think they'll do okay. The forces at work to defend that are mighty and it may be that the farm bill will grow let's don't just keep the pie the same and slice it differently but let's just grow the pie even though republicans now control the house and democrats retain control of the senate mckinney is confident that the 2023 farm bill will have all the pieces needed to help both the ag industry and food related federal programs that'll all come together in the democratic process it will not be pretty will not be clean never is i guess but i think they'll come up with a workable farm bill and we'll keep those programs together as we should. We cannot separate those. The total estimated budget for the 2023 farm bill could reach $1.3 trillion. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. The American Farm Bureau Convention has kicked off in Puerto Rico this weekend. Plenty of Indiana Farm Bureau members made the trip, including Hamilton County's Rachel Hyde, who was the winner of the INFB discussion meet during their annual convention last month. Hyde is a farmer, and she also works at Bex Hybrids as a field sales marketing coordinator. She told me she had a lot of fun with the discussion meet. And I love discussing ag issues anytime, so I just looked at it more as a discussion again, and some good advice that I got was, yes, this is a fake conversation right because it is for a contest but just think about it as a real discussion because you really are talking with peers in ag. A number of ag topics were discussed during the discussion meet including ag technology, the supply chain, economic sustainability and of course 
climate. Climate's a buzzword in ag. We all know that. And so for me, one thing that I hammered home was as a farmer, I believe that climate initiatives should really be uh, decisions at the farm gate, but it must drive profitability and ROI. So on our farm, we already practice a lot of climate-friendly initiatives. We no-till, uh, we practice variable rate chemical and fertilizer. And so I brought up those discussions from our own farm and really enjoyed that climate discussion. Hyde will now compete in Puerto Rico with the National Young Farmer and Rancher Discussion Meet. She says she's looking forward to meeting new people in San Juan. I can sometimes get in my own box of row crops, so coming from a corn and soybean operation and then uh, showing on the livestock circuit and raising club lambs, but what I'm most excited about is getting opinions from other folks who are in other different types of agriculture uh, because here in Indiana we can very much just think about corn and beans and row crop production acres, so I'm excited to kind of get their opinions and really think about policy in a different light. I'd won four grand for her discussion meet victory and an all-expenses-paid trip to Puerto Rico where she is competing this weekend in the national discussion meet. We'll be following her progress in that national competition. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Hoosier Ag Today, also online at HoosierAgToday.com. Thanks for joining us for this weekend's show. We'll do it again next weekend, same hat time, same hat channel. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.